Welcome back, you guys. This is a podcast between everything and nothing. My name, for those of you that are new to the podcast, my name is Mohammed. For the Arabic speakers, Muhammad. And today we have a very special guest on the podcast. He's a entrepreneur slash psychoanalyst slash brain injury specialist. We got Shadi Rustam in the building. What's going on, Shadi? How are you, Hamude? Good man. And for those of you who don't know, Hamude is like a nickname for the name Hamad. I've been called that since I was a kid. And normally you'd, you'd leave that name back for kids, but I've been called it for the past 27 years. But that aside, so what's going on, Shadi? Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's about time I had some like more licensed professionals on my podcast. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, no, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be good, bro. It's really go with the flow, easy. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And, you know, Bichetti being a psychotherapist, I kind of want to delve into the topic of mental health because I'm a pharmacist and we just kind of keep it at the, this person has depression, give him Lexapro or something like that. Very basic, very by the nose kind of things. And mental health is kind of a hard topic to deal with because it's such an abstract, still kind of an abstract topic. And I always want to talk about it with someone serious. I mean, Shadi always have these kind of talks about them for hours and I thought, you know, let's put him on the podcast and see what he can educate people. So Shadi, like what's a typical day for you? Like what's your what's your take on mental health? I mean everyone's got a brain yeah. at the end of the day. And everyone's dealing with what they have to deal with, whatever it is they're going through with their life. Yeah. You know? I mean a typical day for me at at the clinic is probably a lot of you see a lot of people who have um, depression or anxiety or some type of fear okay I feel like uh, something I've wondered just want to stop you um, so what's like how are you able to sit there and spot someone that has depression or is it something where you would find it the most random people or how common it is now when it comes to things like uh, depression and anxiety or fears these people don't come to me as like a mystery, people who have these things. Yeah. Because um, what I don't understand is why people in general don't have all those things together. They don't have fear, anxiety, de- depression, all mixed in one. Because at the end of the day, we are all vulnerable and we're going to die. Okay. So, but how does like, what differentiates someone like me who will have a down day or something like that? And how would someone develop into having those like depressive tendencies and stuff like that? Like, so what? Like what, like what keeps the borderline between me like having a down day, let's say someone passes away and I feel down. How am I able to recover versus someone who is unable and stays in that state? And also do things maybe like drugs and things like that kind of affect their mind state and keep them in a depressive state too? Because I can give you the straight clinical answer where like LSDs will get you into a depressive state, but what else plays a role in that too? You know, um, when people are taking these drugs or uh, doing these things, it's, it's something that takes the effect or the edge off of life because they're going through whatever it is they're going through, whatever difficulty it is. This is why when I explain um, why... I'm I why I wonder why people don't have all that at once the depression the anxiety is it's understandable why these people are taking drugs but where it comes into play where life falls into the picture you have you have an option 
clinical literature on this shows that there is two groups of people. One group was given a stressor involuntarily. Mm-hmm. Another group was giving, given a stressor given a stressor invol- one group was giving a stressor involuntarily. The other group was given a stressor voluntarily. Mm-hmm. What had happened was the group that was given the stressor involuntarily had went into a defense mode, a prayer animal type mode. The group that was given the stressor and took it on voluntarily was with a whole entire different psychophysiological system that was used, which was the challenge and acceptance, meaning that I'm going to take this challenge and I'm going to go forth and work with this challenge. Is that similar to like the flight or fight response kind of? Close, but the psych... When, when we say the psychophysiological findings that display, were displayed here, the, the person who does it voluntarily shows a lot of good... Like, for example, they show a lot of um, good thought and emotion towards it. Yeah. The person who takes it on involuntarily, they show more negative emotion towards it. So what this tells us that a non-naive outlook into doing something like going forth into the unknown venturing out um, constitutes what's a good life because if you think about it people travel they explore they they do these things because they enjoy to so when you take on a stressor voluntarily what you're doing is you're automatically switching the psychophysiological system you're using into something that's more enjoyable for example if you're studying for a test like you were in pharmacy school if you kept telling yourself you hate it or uh I don't want to do this or something like that. Automatically, the stressor that you're taking on is no longer voluntarily. It's an involuntarily stressor that you're dealing with. So what happens is now it becomes even more hard on you to continue. Does that make sense? Kind of. Wow, that's crazy. I never really thought about it like that. So, I don't know. Let me see if I can try and make sense of it. So what you're basically saying is that if I kind of reinforce this negativity on myself, that's me kind of accepting it and unable to challenge it and move on from that part. So I'm like involuntary, unable to make a choice. Or am I kind of off? No, you, you, got, it, you got the right point there. Okay. But it's not that... So basically, if you look at your, the, your mind, okay? Look at your mindset like a place. Does that make sense? Okay, you got me so far. Where you place yourself in life, like for example, if you went to uh, a gym or a, a coffee shop, okay, these are two different places that you'll get two different reactions out of from you, okay. right? Yeah. So what happens is your mindset is a place. Mm-hmm. You take your mindset into the place where you want it, meaning you want that responsibility. Because if you look at it, you can have no responsibility in life. You can do absolutely nothing, care about nothing, and have no responsibility. The payback for that is that you don't have to worry about anything. You have no responsibility. But the outcome of it is you put yourself in that state of depression and pain and suffering. Because at the end of the day, 
life is hard. So you can either sit through it and suffer, or you can take responsibility on yourself. When you do this, things like this, venturing out into the unknown, expanding yourself, building, building up your loot, whatever you're doing, it allows you to look back at yourself at those times. Like for example, the self-esteem, what we see in, um, with a lot of our patients, is the self-esteem is always negative because of what's... It could be the culture surrounding it. It could be... It was like environmental factors pretty much playing a role. Environmental factors that cause it. So what happens is the self-esteem has nothing to look at at itself to say, oh, this is good. So what you do by doing these things, this is the right type of tonic for the self-esteem to say, all right, this is something real I can hold on. Sure, you can say, oh, I'm better than this, I'm, I'm whatever. But when you have something real to hold on to, mm-hmm. when you take these steps, you become more noble in your own eyes. This allows you to step away from that depression state when you're taking it on voluntarily. It's like if you had to go to the gym every day, all right? Yeah. And you didn't like going to the gym. It would cause stress. Do you know that the gym is a stress reliever for some people? Yeah. It's, it's like that for me too. It like helps like get the weight off or you just feel like wrong if you don't go to the gym for like a couple of days. Why would you think that is though? I don't know. It just makes you feel better. Maybe as that's because like... you're taking it on voluntarily. Mm, interesting. That's why the mindset is a place where you place your mind is where it will take you. So even though though in life, at the end of the day, I, you've heard it before, you have to sacrifice who you are now for what you will become. Yeah. That's why you spent so many years studying. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And what that did was you decided at that moment when you did that to take on the stressor voluntarily. Mm-hmm. But does everyone have this equal ability to kind of face these stressors uh, like voluntarily? For example, I'm kind of taking it back to the nature versus nurture. Like, Are some of us just more predisposed to developing that inability to tackle things voluntarily or is it more just purely based on your environment? What would you be your opinion on that side of the argument? You are a product of your environment. So it is more probably nurture. But you can reprogram your mind in the manner that you want it to be. Like I said, you put your mind in the place. You alter that mindset. I know of a lot of patients who have had a lot of difficulty in life. And because they are able to put their mindsets in places where they are capable of reprogramming their mind they were able to achieve the outcomes they wanted but what they're doing is they're putting that responsibility on themselves when they put this responsibility on themselves now this is based on their morals their moral code what they decide is what they decide is going to make them successful or get them out of the position they're in or take them further in in life in life or whatever it is okay now it depends on what people are looking at because everyone has a different view of success. But you realize I've had patients who who are doing great in their career, others who are doing great um, financially, financially, socially, things like that, socially. Yeah. But now here's the here's the thing with this. You can be doing great in your career, but come back home 
to a life that you don't like. What you look at this is like, you pick, for example, whatever three, four, five things in life that you feel are most important for you to achieve success. That means, for example, in my case, in, in the more, um, in the soon future, um, one would be, of course, my career. Yes. Two would be being a husband. Okay. Three, a father. Yeah. Four, my social life. Five, health and health and faith, health and religion. Okay. So what happens is you look at it in a, you look at this in a way like credit and debt. You could be doing amazing in your career, high credit in your career, but debt as a husband, you're not doing the obligations as a husband or a father. What happens is this is going to affect you, causing some type of dissonance yeah in your life some type of dissonance some type of some type of unbalance in your life so what you do is you work on the things that you're in debt for and allow yourself to put them in the credit as long as you have everything in the credit then you have the success you want so in my case it would be those things okay. in other people's cases it may be something else it may be strictly career or it may be strictly but how, but how do your patients know what they want or don't want? Like how? Like maybe you got to a point where you've built it. Are they stuck in this depressive state because they don't know what they want? Or how do they get out of like that feeling? In a case like this where someone does not know what they want, which is common, this is lacking in where I explained to you as the health and faith section. When it comes to faith, you are having a continuous dialogue with yourself. This continuous dialogue is allowing you to create and build what you should be doing or what you should act upon in life. You're not just born and you know exactly what you're doing and you're gonna do this, no. that's You have all these experiences in life, you have your continuous dialogue with yourself that allows you to create what you want to take action forth with. So what happens in this case where people do not know, it's because they are lacking what they do not know to take action of. How do you get them there? Or like, what's your, what, what, what would be your role in helping them get them to that point? The first thing I would do is, for example... Like, dip- like give me an example of how you would fully approach that situation. Let's say I walked in as your patient. Be like, I kind of lost in life. I haven't been, haven't had the will to leave. I haven't had the will to leave the house. I haven't had, I don't want to interact with my friends. I've become more withdrawn, more to myself. What would be your approach to helping me get out of your state? Where would you start with helping my mindset get to where you're talking about being more voluntary in life? The first thing I would do is look at that person's dialogue with themselves. When you explain those things to me, this person does not see themselves as having a purpose. This is one of the things that will allow you to grow and thrive in life. See, at the end of the day, we all have goals. You achieve your goals. You achieve your goals. But some people may be the best state when it came to, but they have no purpose. So this is where this loss or this confusion in life comes in. So what you allow them to do is take on that responsibility. Now, when I say that responsibility, so I don't sound too vague, um, I mean what they see that they should take action on and whatever it is in their life that they should take action on 
they need to set that mindset in that place where they're taking on, taking it on responsi- responsibly on res- taking it on they need to set that mindset in that place where they are taking it on voluntarily when they do this now they've already switched the psychophysiological system they're using from here what you can do is just like i would do with my patients who have anxiety what you do is you take the anxiety you write it down you break it down and you break it down into more detail and what the patient comes to find out is that you do not get less afraid of what you broke down what it is is that you realize that the world is still as bad as it is but now you're more brave to take it on because when you're less afraid oh the world is not as bad as it is I should go out there Mm -hmm. there's no bravery in that but when you take the action and say alright the world is as bad as I thought and even worse worse than I thought then you're becoming brave and you're taking it on voluntarily. What would be, tri- let's say I came in and I was still, you know, I was still trying to get to that point. And I, like, I, and, you know, like, I was trying to get that dialogue with myself like we were just talking about. What, like, what would be triggers for you to look for? Certain words or certain things I'd say or how I'd act. I would let you know that, yeah, he's not, ha- he's not in a good faith like, relationship with himself. What would like, be signs that you would look for? Like, oh, that's the problem. Or is it ever that easy where you can be like, Oh, that's his problem there, or that's the problem there, or is it just a multiple overtime thing where you kind of help them get to where they need to be? When someone walks into my clinic, yeah, you look, the behavior of the subconscious mind is presented through their, through their body language. Yeah. What happens here, this allows you just from the way they look, not me- meaning other than the, f- the way they dress, meaning the way they're looking, whether it's up or down, you could tell what type of self-esteem they have. Mm. Other than that, the way they sit when they come and sit with me. For example, I've had patients who've came and sat with me who would have their legs crossed or their hands their hands together or folded whatever it is automatically i know that this person is closed more than likely an introvert but i will not jump to that assumption that they are like this and they're going to be like this i look back at how this person was in their environment the reason they are like this is either because they have not been taught or because of things that have occurred that have occurred in their environment that made them this way yeah so the first thing I will do in a, in a, a session like that is I'd leave the uh, I'd leave the uh, the psychotherapist role yeah. and do something that would not do something that they would not find like confrontational or something like that or something that would make them negative. I would mimic their body language and then put them in the role as the psychoanalyst I'd ask them before any introduction I'd be like I would say what do you think of me and then that would allow me to understand what they think of themselves because I'm displaying the same body language so now they are projecting because they can only project what they feel or think and now if you're displaying it in a mirror like a mirror in effect now you can catch the words that will allow you to know where to go in this session. 
Wow, that's something like Twilight <laughs> reversal type stuff right there, man. So, okay, so after you got them to that point where they're playing the role of the psychoanalyst. By the way, do they ever get triggered by the word psychoanalyst? Are they like, I'm not crazy, stuff like that? Yeah. Like kind of segue. So quick. like how you introduced me earlier as a brain injury specialist yeah. or a psychoanalyst or a therapist, whatever it is. Um, some cultures, uh, yeah, they... I figure the word psycho probably triggers them. Yeah, like, it I'm triggers crazy. them. It triggers them. But I, the way I look at it is um, with the patients I've dealt with, um, some of them, in my opinion, have broken the boundaries of the human brain. What does that mean? You tell me how it's possible that we're sitting here and you don't see another person here. Wow. Schizophrenic people will see another person here mm -hmm. like it's real, like they can touch it, it's there. Even though, see what I'm studying now as I further my practice is how we can take these things instead of looking at them as a mental illness, how we can adjust them to look at them as a capability that they can use as, I don't want to make it sound like this, but as a superpower. In a sense. Turn it into a positive kind of thing? Yes. That would be the best way of saying it right now until later on. I furthered my yeah. research on it. But what this does is it automatically, just like when they're taking, a normal person's taking a stressor on voluntary, voluntarily or involuntarily, this shifts the person's way of looking at themselves alone as something they're dealing with as a mental illness. Now, they're dealing it with, an, with a capability. I mean, if you want to compare it to a movie, you compare it to X-Men. They have these capabilities, but those are more like, you understand what I'm saying. Like TV, movie. Yeah, yeah no, that's the first thing I thought of when yeah. like, you said that. So what happens in this case, though, and in a realistic case, mm -hmm. you are displaying it and showing them ways that this, because it's not normal, does not mean it's a mental illness. What it could be is your brain breaking is your brain breaking boundaries that are allowing you to display things that others cannot. How can you use this to your benefit? And how can you use this to allow you to cope? with what you're already dealing with, with the schizophrenia, whatever the diagnosis is at the yeah. time. But let's say they do create these images. Are they doing it, is it just a random something or does it have some kind of relation to some kind of trauma they had in the past? It could be, it depends on what it is. It could be that, but now let me tell you this. You could have the same trauma that a schizophrenic person had. Okay. One of them became schizophrenic, the other didn't. Okay. Why is that? What you look at here is this person's mind, where their mindset is, and why it took it this way. Because in some cases, this is the mind could be using... So, not illness, I guess I'm not trying to say. Uh, the mind could using mentality, or whatever you want to call it, schizophrenia, to allow them to cope and shy away from... What that, what that, that trauma was, what whatever that trauma it was. was. So now what they did was they broke the boundaries of the human brain to cope with that drama while the other person did not mm -hmm. with that trauma. So what we do here is now that you have the person who's broken that boundary, 
how can you get it to work in their favor? Do you do you approach it strictly from a psychoanalytical standpoint, or do you take things into consideration? Things into consideration such as brain chemistry, things like that, or do you strictly stick to the psych component of it? That's why I special. That's why I specialized in brain injury because, of course, any physical trauma to the brain is going to affect the way you think and mm-hmm. your memory, all things. So I look at not only the psych aspect of it, the chemistry behind it, how the medication affects them, what the medication does, and how it could be putting something on them that could be affecting them more than the mental illness itself. So when you talk about brain chemistry, these things have to be taken into consideration but if you talk if you mention to me brain chemistry and i tell you their brain chemistry is a little bit or is completely different than others they have higher levels of this and lower levels of this where do you think that came from i mean it could be a number of factors Mm -hmm. like could be injured um driving a motorcycle could have injured it driving their car in a car accident, injury falling on the pavement, could have had born with imbalances of dopamine levels, things like that. These are all possibilities, but you know that the brain's neuroplasticity, correct? Yes. Can and adjust. you know how it adjusts. Yeah. So let me ask you this. The person who has schizophrenia or PTSD or certain, whatever... Whatever... Um, category of mental illness you want to categorize have, it yeah, okay and the ones who don't have it with a physical trauma mm-hmm. or a birth defect which a lot of mental illness is uh th- these are issues that come come about but there is also these are issues that come about but there are a lot and majority are like the schizophrenic and things like this just normal brain chemistry yes. normal everything and it alters so what you're looking at here is if you're telling me look at the brain chemistry, well, they altered their brain chemistry themselves. But why would your mind choose to do that, though, on its own? Like, why would it take it and make it into some kind of, maybe not as coping, but as first, because, you know, schizophrenia is very hard to live with. Yes. Why would you inflict that on yourself? Because what you're doing is taking something that nobody can do, expanding the capabilities of your brain with nobody who has done so around you. So now, not only are you on your own teaching yourself, if your environment, which is not helping you because the traumatic event already caused this issue, so now you have an environment that's destroying you even more while you're in this phase. But if you had the right the right guidance, yeah. but at the same time, the belief system that has to be instilled in that person is something that's going to have to be as strong as the belief of that person who's sitting right next to him, which is only mm. only he would be able a figment to see. of their mind. Yeah. Yes. They, they all, do you think that's possible to do without professional help, in your opinion, based on what you see in your I practice? Mean, with my practice, no, you need the professional help. That's okay. 100%. But someone but, suffering from like mild spurts of depression or things like that, do you think they can do it on their own? When I see things like... Um, mild spirits of depression and patients come in they tell me they're depressed i tell them first i ask uh, the type of depression you're asking is usually situational yeah you know so let's say someone comes to me and tells me that um i'm feeling depressed you know i'm this is happening in my life this 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 and this is happening i tell them 
if you are not depressed with this situation going on in your life or whatever is going on, it doesn't have to be situational. It could be long-term you're feeling the depression mm-hmm. and it just kicks in because you allow it to. What I tell them is, don't you think it wouldn't be normal for you to be depressed in these situations in your life? For example, if someone passed away, yes, a family member passes away, um, you have... Uh, someone gets covid Someone gets COVID, things like this. If these things don't depress you, are you normal? You, but what if they remain that way? Like for the a long... The only reason they remain that way... Is like we said before. Yes. What about for other disease... Nah, okay, I was going to say other illnesses. Like for example, me, I had really bad anxiety studying for my recent board exams. And... I don't know, maybe it's with like the state of everything going on. The anxiety has gone down, but I still feel like I'm still kind of anxious about certain things. Does Will that pass or like, because uh, can, I, can I apply the same mindset for this as well? Or what would be your opinion on what's going on? Maybe it's everything altogether. Maybe it's just my exam. Maybe it's other stuff. I don't know, but I still have this kind of anxious feeling going on. The anxious feeling is kind of, if you look at it like, the exam and preparing for the exam got you to a point um, where you're probably never that anxious before. Yeah. What this is is kind of like a residue. What you did in this way, which I'm still doing some research on, what you did to exceed this point of anxiety is you pushed your levels a little bit higher. So now by doing this, come back down or get to the point where you're at you've opened up the opportunity for you to feel anxious on other things because you've reached this point and now you're trying to think to yourself oh man i've been this anxious before what if these things are going to come up and get this anxiety or whatever it is so what you're doing though is placing a fear that is not there Mm -hmm. this is normal because we have fear Based yeah, on evolution. Yeah, of course. It's like a human... like It's innate in us. It's part of like our biology. Yeah. Yes. But we're not in the Stone Age or we're not running away from um, mammoths life, or whatever it is. Life would be so much easier. Yes. <laughs> but this is still innate, innate in us due to the history of mankind. Yeah. So what you do is you realize where these triggers are coming from just like i said and you take it and you break it down into detail mm-hmm. and what you do is you don't get less scared you get more brave you say all right it's still there it's still gonna affect me but i'm gonna take it on when you do something voluntarily it alters completely like i told you the psychophysiological system that's used is altered to a point where you don't look at it in this manner you got anxious to a point where couldn't now, sleep yeah yeah you couldn't sleep. What else was bothering you at that time? Um, stuff going on in family life. Uh, most a lot of it from the exams because I had like bombed my one of my first ones, and you have that worry you're not gonna pass it again, even though you put in the work. And you know, with the whole situation going on right now with COVID and everything, I think that all that was kind of playing a role in my anxiety building up. But now look at it. The main key, and you just explained to me how your anxiety has went down it after is. the exam. 100%. This is the residue, like I was explaining to you. If you had a tough day at work, and you came home to your family or whatever, and um, 
I don't know, maybe uh, one of the family members says, hey, can you grab this or take out the trash? And uh, you automatically go into a state of anger or oh, I'm tired or whatever it is. Yeah. What you're doing is because at that point when you're studying at for that exam, all those little things with the family things, sure, they're not little, you know, they're important, but was taking more of a toll than they should on your body. Mm -hmm. Why? If I asked you to hold a cup of water out in front of you, a small cup of water, and hold out your arm, how long until you holding that cup of water it's going to get too heavy for you to even carry? I think it depends on the cup or how much water is in there and stuff like that. Okay, a small cup of water, probably less than a pound. I don't know. I've never tried. Do you want to try now? <laughs> try it. If you can hold it for longer than 10 minutes or whatever time yeah. without your arm giving out, then... <laughs> then you know, I'd be, I'd, you know, those days in the gym are you know, going to waste. Yeah. But what you're doing is you are doing the same thing with your mind. You're holding these things like the oh, exam you just took. Dang. That was some kind of reverse psychology right there. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That was good. So I'm kind of... Wait, I'm kind of putting like constant strain on my mind. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? Because you're not taking it and putting it down in front of you and saying, wow, it's not as bad. I've had this issue when I, when I first opened my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, see, one thing I learned is you don't just become successful. You will fail, fail, fail and stumble upon greatness. That's how I look at it. Because opening my practice, I went through a lot of difficulty. But what I realized was when it came to putting things down on a piece of paper and organizing it, even though you know me and uh, my organization, organization yeah, it's not... <laughs> not 100%? Yeah. Keep it there. But when it came to things where I had to put that responsibility voluntarily on myself, it became so much easier. And then I started to stumble upon working on things and I got better at them. I can't be a perfectionist or perfect at building my own business when it's the first one or second one I've opened. 100%. Even the third or fourth, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. 100%. Dang. Well, you just blew my mind right there. That, I'm, still on that, I'm still on the whole cup and water thing. I'm like, wow, that was crazy. But how has your practice been now with like, the whole COVID thing? Do you see, what do you, have you been seeing more cases of depression, more anxiety? What have you been seeing a lot more of? I've seen a lot more of all that, actually. Really? And um, COVID's... uh, You see, at the end of the day, we are uh, social creatures, too. Yeah, 100%. And putting yourself in lockdown, quarantine, not being able to see family, things like this, it becomes more uh, difficult Mm -hmm. on a person. What that does now is that person has more time to think. But now... I forget the ratio exactly, but there is a ratio that most people in in this world live in. The negative thought process overtakes the positive by tenfold. Mm -hmm. But if that person lets these things get to them, especially with what's going on on the news and around them in this world, it's going to take that negative thought process and make it much worse. And that's what they're going to fall back on. When I say shut off the news, I mean, I don't mean completely cut yourself out, but give yourself time to adjust kind of really give yourself time to think of a few things you're grateful for by doing this. 
you're slowly altering it. Now, don't get me wrong. Doing this is not going to... We're going to snap and you're going to know everything go back normal. No. This is going to take practice. What you have to do is you have to make it realistic for yourself. Mm. You have all this time now. What can you do with it? Can you come out a better person? Or are you going to come out saying, you know what, I'll just start later or whatever it is. Even if you come out worse in it, you can always structure back. Well, I think we reached a good stopping point. Shad, I just want to thank you for having us on the podcast. Having yourself on the podcast, it really means a lot to me. And mental health is kind of still a taboo subject, especially in our community, because Middle Easterners, I feel like most minorities kind of stride, stride away from things like mental health, stuff like that, because at the end of the day, you don't have time to deal with mental health. It's seen as kind of a weakness. At least what I take it as. It's not really as much as you think a weakness because... Well, no, I agree it's not a weakness. But I'm saying yeah. still the perception of it in um, like minority communities, Middle Eastern communities, things like that, is that it's kind of seen as a weakness if you have a depression. Like you have bigger problems, you have bills to pay. You yeah. have time to sit there and be depressed. Exactly. But the funny... The part about it that people don't realize is it is taboo in some cultures or how you say it is a weakness. Yeah. But I don't know how to explain this to you. Those who say it is are often the ones who are coming in and don't want anyone to know. Man, on that, that was a powerful ending right there. On that note, again, Shady, thanks very much. I really want to tackle this this subject matter. I don't really have anyone else other than you who is actually close to me and would be actually studied this and is licensed professional. And... Again, for everyone, this is the podcast Between Everything and Nothing. We're available on Apple and Spotify. And thanks for listening. Hopefully, we really enjoyed this episode. And if anyone has any problems, needs to reach out, would like to address a certain issue, whether it's depression, things like that, you please feel free to reach out to me on my personal page or my Instagram uh, podcast name. I can put you in contact with Shadi and we can try to help you as best as we could. Shadi, again, thanks very much for being on the podcast, It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Owen.